Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, 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 what up, y'all? This is Fonte, Fonte Delo, and we are back with part two of our New York City in-studio interview with filmmaker, music executive, and all-around wonderful human being, Lisa Cortez. In this episode, we're going to talk about her new documentary, Little Richard, I Am Everything, which you should definitely check out because it's a great film, and it is available on YouTube, Amazon Prime, wherever you rent, wherever you stream. Also, please listen to part one where Lisa talks about growing up, her early musical memories, and also working at Def Jam Records at a very crucial time in its history. We love this combo, and we hope y'all do too. All right? It's Questlove Supreme. Peace. I always wanted to know, since you were there around like 89, 90, post-Terradome, post-Griff interview, there was like a really scary period where like some of us thought like Def Jam was about to shut down during the entire, you know, Griff interview, Public Enemy thing. I remember, like, seeing Chuck on Entertainment Tonight, I think, with tape over his mouth or had a... Like, he sat for an interview, but then, like, I'm not giving any comment or whatever. How weird was that period? Like, were you guys the type to embrace a controversy, or was it sort of like, oh, damn, the JDL might shut us down, or that sort of thing? Or did Lior have to sort of get in front of the bullet? I think Lior did his thing. Okay. I think Bill Adler has always been an important strategist in telling the true story of the artists and where they were coming from. Bill was a great interpreter who could call a guy Trebay, who could, you know, talk to all these different people to really give them the broader context of who this person is. And what they're talking about, why they're talking about it. Um, we got to get Bill Adler on the show Oh, also. my gosh, it too. Yeah. We got Lisa now, so yeah, let's go. Yeah. Are you still in contact with, like, your— Oh, my gosh, yes. Bill Adler. I imagine y'all have deep dinners. Lindsay Williams. Seasonal. Faith yeah. Newman. Faith Newman, yeah. Heidi shout out to Faith. Smith. Um, you know, even the Def Jam Soul Songs artists, we had a little reunion 
So that's I occasionally talk to Oren Oren. and Dean. Oh, oh, yeah. Did not oh, know I he forgot. was Puerto Rican. Okay, okay. Oren, Tayshawn, yeah. Chuck Stanley, right. and Allison Williams. Allison Williams. Allison Williams. And yep. we went to Europe, and I was the tour manager. <laughs> it was one of those, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Okay, if it's Wednesday, we got to get in the bus and get to Frankfurt. Mm. And um, that was at, actually, we had a reunion um, like uh, two months ago. I knew y'all did yeah. reunions. And even the band members, you know, were all there. Um, That's so full circle, too. You said Allison Williams. Then I thought about you at the Luther concert. Then I thought about Ramon Harvey and the whole I Am It's just it's a beautiful, circular kind of connection between all of y'all. That's beautiful. Why did Wendy Goldstein ruin my life? Yeah. We, could, <laughs> we, would, we would have been BFFs. Did, did, did she, though? Yeah. Did know, everything happen the way it was supposed to? I, I believe so. I mean, look. What made the deal irresistible was that, you know, most artists will, the label will have options to instantly drop if they see the band's not fit. And we didn't even learn how to craft a song until our fourth album. So in this situation, the thing that brought us there was the fact that if you, our contract was hooked up so that if you did album number one, they had to do two and three. If we did four, they had to do five and six. Was really the true reason why we've had seventeen albums under our belt because label. Trust me, there are many times where the label was like, "Get rid of, oh, damn, another two records," and so <laughs> that's that's the story. So, why did you leave Def Jam, and what brought you to Mercury? Well, Ed Eckstein offered me a gig, mm-hmm. and then everybody did because um, people were afraid of Lior and Russell. But they were like, yo, Ed is talking to her. And then, you know, I remember I met with Tommy Mottola and, you know, and just like the whole gamut. And But I, you know, what I loved about Ed and I still love is we grew up listening to all kinds of music, you know, Mm because I got my, you know, I can sing All a Stairway to Heaven and, you know, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Patti Smith and Nick Drake and, you know, then do a little Brazilian lullaby with Sarah Vaughn and then drop into a cumbia. She is auditioning You contain multitudes. (laughs) I think Steve's in love. Cumbia all day. It's like, wow, she's She's talking about language. She's talking about darkness, uh, Springsteen, yeah. I know. Because there's a darkness on the edge of town. (laughs) And, um... So, and Ed, you know, as the son of Billy Eckstein, growing up in California, he has a diverse, he's a good one to talk to. Oh, I already to. talked to him. He's ready to go. Really I know he's listening. Broad. That's why I'm glad you're talking about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's coming. And he said to me, Lisa, I said, Ed, I, I don't know if I just want to do black music. He said, you can do whatever you want. And I knew that I would want to produce the cast recording of Jelly's Last Jam, which I did when I was there working with George Wolf. I did records with John Lucien. I, you know, I wow. just had loved so much, you know. And then on the flip side, I'm working with hip-hop. I'm working with reggae. I worked with all kinds of music. Uh, I, you know, I was the person when Talking Loud came to mm-hmm. the States mm-hmm. yeah. because I was the point person mm-hmm. in Incognito, Omar, Omar Young yeah. Disciples. Oh, so wait, were you the one that introduced Charles Peterson, Peterson to us? I might have. Wow. Because <laughs> Hip Hop this... Zelig is now Acid Jazz Zelig. <laughs> yeah. Literally, uh-huh. when Giles got the word that he lost us, he didn't take that line. He flew to Wendy and was like, I still want... And she let him do it. He Because pro- I used to go to London and I was looped in with all those folks. And I, when they brought the Talking Loud label because of 
you know, it came to Mercury and I was a person like, yes, I want to work with them. You know, I love what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And when I, even when I had my label, I was going to sign Jaleesa Anderson. Uh, wow. And, um, Bobby Bird's stepdaughter or daughter. I think she's a cousin because Carlene Anderson. Carlene is the is is the daughter, and she's a cousin. Oh, yeah. Jaleesa. Jaleesa. Oh shit! I worked on a record. Pressure. I was going to sign her. Oh my! This happens like once a week. Do you <laughs> like? Oh, I played on her record. That's Wait, like a famous but, thing here. Ah, uh, this is. Da, 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 do you have a lot da, of her demos? Da, da. I've worked on like five songs with her when we were living in London, and never got to hear me and uh, the bass player of uh, Jamaica, Stewart. Mm-hmm. We worked on her record and it never came out. Well, it probably was for the UK label. Yes. Because I was going to sign her before my tragic end, but we'll get to that. Oh, later. yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I was the point person for all the talking loud folks. So, of course, I knew, you know, Morris Bernstein and Jonathan doing Giant Step right. and blah, 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 blah. And um, that was that, you know, I was. So I love that Ed allowed me that space to connect with and try things out and really be able to broaden the scope of expression within black music, you know. Um, And I I worked with Angela Winbush. Uh, No, Angela. Angela Winbush. (laughs) Oh, that's it? She's not Angela. She's Angela. I thought it was Angela. Okay, I'm all Angela. Who is incredible. She is producer, songwriter, voice like an angel. You're in the studio with her? Or are you in? Ah, oh, damn. 85 I, was When she was married to, to, to... Ronald? To, yeah. Okay. I went to their their spaceship studio in California. Wow. Okay. Oh, I, I want to ask, uh, Lisa, you mentioned Larry Smith. He's just someone that we always just, you know, very rarely we get people that actually work with him. So, like, what was he like in the studio? What was that relationship like working with him? Because he's just an unsung hero So with me. Dini. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had this whole connection to other UK artists because of Zamba. Mm-hmm. Multi-instrumentalists and just the and a peacemaker. Because you have to remember, a lot of these artists are very young. This is all new. They, they had a way and a pace. And Larry was had come from where they had started, but he had traveled and he had had the hits. And he was really great talking to the artists and talking them down and cooling them out. And you know, it's funny. I ran into Paul Schaefer came to a screening of uh, Little Richard uh, over the weekend. And Paul Schaefer did a hip hop record. When my radio's on. And, <laughs> and Larry Smith. Did he produced that song? He produced, the, no, the album that has Will. Yeah, that? When and My Jazzy Radio's Jeff. on. Yeah, I was. That's La- Larry. I didn't. I didn't write the songs, but I put that deal together. So you know the world famous. My first show was at Radio City Music Hall uh, thing. So Dion of Dion and the Belmonts is also on the show and brings Paul Schaefer out, who I guess obviously just released the single. And I remember, like, because Will and Jeff weren't there or whatever, and they wanted to do that song. And for half a second, it's like they looked in my direction like, oh, do you know how to rap? Like, you know, that sort of thing. And it was like, no, I'm not doing that. 
But you orchestrated that song? Well, that because uh, it's a whole album. Yeah. With that Larry produces. Yeah, that this I did not. Let me just be clear. Was, Let me be clear. Yes. It's a doo-wop. It's like Dion of Dion and the Belmonts, Run Around Soon. It's it's Dion. It's, in, in Paul's mind, he's doing what Boys to Men successfully did. He wanted to do a doo-wop joint oh, like with hip hop, modern, you know, yeah. and he's New York, and you know, Paul was like a nerdy hip New Yorker type, whatever. So he wanted to just amalgamate all that, and mm-hmm. there was like a few performances where Jeff and Will and Dion and Check Paul Schaefer, good, yeah, Check good. yeah. Well, this was uh, no, it was '89, so it was like you don't say no to Paul Schaefer. Yeah, the check was good, right? Right, right. the check, the, the opportunities as exactly. well, but yeah, right. Well, but it, you know, it was it's pro- also how they then get invited to go on David Letterman. The opportunity, right. because, because yeah, yeah, opportunity. About. that right. was that was like the how. Yeah, it, it didn't just happen. There, you know, all these people were resistant. You know, the way now that they want to have Pusha T on or whoever on right. the show, mm-hmm. they didn't want to have these oh, artists. No, no, no. no. They, they did not, you know, want their children, just like with Little Richard, Harry to be Smith. exposed. Yes, but the Larry, really? He yeah. produced that song. So, like, how do you, you became president of, what was your highest position at Mercury? I was VP of a So, for you in music, what do you deem, like, your three crowning achievements? Yeah, like I, I seeded this and blah 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 happened. Don't like, say Paul Schaefer. <laughs> I like that song. Okay. <laughs> when my radio was on. How come you don't know this, Steve? <laughs> because I have taste. <laughs> it wasn't look. Cause see, it's funny, we should look up. Wait, and Dad. Because <laughs> Dad, am I allowed to play this song? Talking to He said, yeah, he gave you the things, the thumb cousin. up. <laughs> Until he cuts Until it Lisa out. Until Lisa thinks of her, her answers. All right, she, she, all right, here she, we go. 10 seconds or less, you said. Yeah. 10 seconds or less. Wow. wow. 10 seconds. I got it. So we're, that's 10 Dion. seconds. That's 10 seconds. <laughs> Dion and the Belmont. Whoa, this shit made MTV. Oh, this is definitely a Larry Smith yeah. drum track. Yeah. Straight from the Houdini's Open Sesame Sessions. <laughs> but what is Paul Schaefer doing? Vib- vibing Dude, out. Paul, do you not know? He's like in he, the song. He's the DJ College. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, thank you. I didn't even know that Houdini was a part of this. No, but you gotta understand, like uh, in like Johnny Carson was just the standard of late night. I get it. And so Letterman was the Letterman alt. was like he yeah. was hip. Yeah, like, I get it. Him and Paul, uh, as nerdy as they were, they were like the cool guys that, like, not stuffy suit like Carson. So, you know, this, I mean, no one brought this shit. And only nerd, uh, me. I'm the one right. person that knows this song. All right. So, okay, so, I brought it. I'm so, sorry. Yeah. Good. Cool so, song. Lisa, what's your, what's your Shut answers? Up, Steve. <laughs> Th- thank you for give, giving me time. Yeah. To, I, you see how I did it? So, wait, three <laughs> crowning achievements. Crowning achievements. Or, Three magic moments that you got to witness because I'm very impressed about you being in the room with the Bomb Squad. Okay, so Bomb Squad and Ice Cube mm-hmm. singing backup on the Lesson Zero soundtrack, the Danzig song, and the wow. Dan- what? Um, uh, Roy Orbison song, Who are Life you? Fades Away. Who are you, Lisa Cortez? Uh, Danzig, Lonely in Lesson Zero. Damn. And Rick Rubin produced those. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I had thoughts that I was going to be a singer. That's how I, I thought I could get a job 
in the music industry and get discovered. And I very quickly learned that it's not just about you got a great voice and you, you know, have a look and a style and a vibe, but you also have the right label, you have the right manager, you have like all the stars have to line up. And when I fell into this motley family that was so exciting and all these different characters and, you know, in the office, you got bottles coming in, you got people smoking crack outside, you got like it was craziness. And I was like, I can do the art, but I can also do the commerce and I can be an advocate. And so I gave up the singing, but for some reason they needed a a fourth voice. And I think I worked my way in um, (laughs) to to join. So I I love that moment because we're not credited on um, those two songs, Mm -hmm. but it's Chuck Stanley, Allison, myself, and I think Tayshawn might have been singing. Yeah. Really? Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurter to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So when did you, in your mind, leave the music industry? So I started this label uh, after several years at Mercury. 
I was going to go to another label. And what was they, the name of the label? So uh, my label was called Loose Cannon. Okay. Yeah. And it was very challenging to have a small boutique label um, struggling to have the promotion people take your records out because, you know, you become second and third. And, and I had, like, my little team, and we were doing our own, you know, street team and blah blah And um, I just hit the glass ceiling. I hit the ceiling, and I ultimately left. I took action for gender and racial discrimination. I was the only woman in this worldwide company, and I didn't have the same opportunities that I saw people around me who were failing but going up. And, you know, I and it was for my parents because my parents were so about, were not, you know, like we as black people have to stand up for injustices, not only for ourselves, to be example for, for others. Coming next, yeah, the next generation. You know, the, and not only them, but their grand, their parents, my grand, you know, they like I come from people who just were always fighting to, to and not accepting and finding, you know, trying to bring community forward. So I left and I didn't listen to music for six months. And um, you established this label. And yep, then I established you left your this label. label. I did the Till Shiloh record with Buju, but and and you know I'm I like all different shit. I put out a folk group of Aboriginal women from wow. Australia called Titties. I put out the, Titties, Titty, no Titties, <laughs> Titties. Yo, I want to buy that record. Is that on Spotify? <laughs> or was that on Spotify? Can you spell that? <laughs> I I would actually play you your own song if you had a song fight that you gotta make yourself a song. <laughs> Will yeah. you make a titty record, Fate? I'm, and I'll sing back row. It, it's I, made. I'll come it's out of, I'll come out of retirement for I, you. I got to have Bill Sherman on it. That would be dope. Titty's the musical. You do right now. Oh, titty's the musical. Here it is. So T-I-D-D-A-S. Titties. Titties. Okay, okay. Titties. Australian. They're Aboriginal now, people. Wow. Okay, just so that I feel like I'm not crazy, like, there was definitely a discussion on, like, guys, are you sure this is the name that you want to go by? Titties. Australian. Aboriginal. It was nipples. They changed it from nipples, so this is better. That was the first draft. And then they tried Areola, but that didn't work. Wow. This is why you're, in, you're you're so quick. Okay. I love it. I love Till Shiloh. It's a record I'm incredibly proud of. But I also did the, I reissued Red Fox and uh, Richard Pryor, all those early comedy records. Laugh records. That Laugh. had been on Laugh. Yeah. That's you? Yes. You're I, the reason for this? Yeah. And Damn. so I got that catalog. I got people like Walter Mosley to write the liner notes. People don't even know about Walter Mersley. Like they just think that he's the sidekick. Snowfall now. They just think he's Snowfall. Right, right, right. And so yeah, so boom, chapter close. I'm not listening to music. What do you do? You go to India. So I went. (laughs) That's right. You eat, pray, love. What's up with us in India? I don't know. know. Well, I, I just, I wanted to get away from everything to figure out what was going to be next. And why not go to a place where I was going to be challenged? And what year was this for you, Lisa? This is 1997. Okay. After yeah. the movie or before the movie? Um, this Pray is Love. before the movie. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
And I didn't really eat that much. I was I was afraid to eat. I like, I don't know, I'm just gonna be a vegetarian for three months. But I was traveling and just like reading books by local, you know, Indian authors like Mystery and Salman Rushdie and hanging out with tabla players and Varnasi and just like doing yoga and going to the beach and, you know, whatever. And I went to a movie theater. When I was in the middle of watching this film, I realized, like, I want to make movies. And I had studied film as an undergrad, and I just saw that film gave me a bigger platform to communicate. And even if you watch Little Richard and you don't understand language, you're going to see this roller coaster ride he goes on. You're going to have a sense of how his music affected people. You're going to see his legacy. And so film then became my next kind of place to go to. I came back to New York. I took a production class at New York Film Academy. I started volunteering. I started from ground zero and I just did the hustle. You know, I worked at Urban World Film Festival. I put the panels together. I met people. I went to the Toronto Film Festival. I would watch four films a day. I would go meet directors. I would volunteer. I would use my music background and try to help people out. And then finally one day, I got a call from someone I had known for many years. And he said, I'm going to New Orleans to make a movie. Would you like to come and work for me and also for the director? And that was Lee Daniels. And that was Monster's Ball. Oh, yes, wow. Lisa. Wow. Never heard of You said go to New Orleans. I immediately thought, my first thought was Unbout It by Master P. I was so hoping you was going to tell, so go tell me you worked on Unbout It. I was like, <laughs> but Lee Daniels is cool, too. But you, know, you, know, you know, in the metaverse, maybe I did. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I could totally see you fitting in with Master P. And I so would. I mean, like, I would just, I would love to be there I, because I love these these people who are entrepreneurs who are and are pulling, you know, from a space and at the same time moving culture forward. But that was the Oscar winner. What were your experiences like? So it was really fantastic because um, Lee, so I'm assisting him. I'm assisting Mark Forster, the director, and I would do the famous uh, drive to take our talent up to the place where we shot all the... Angola? Angola. Yeah, yeah. So he And Most was three hours late. Oh, well, because I had worked with Most in the interim years, mm-hmm. and I had done with Danny Hastings a video for Most, I had done uh, Most and Talib Kweli, EPK. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, and I said to Lee, I told Lee about Most. And I was like, I love him and he's great and he can act also, but I'm part one. Then part two, I would have to take the talent to Angola. So we were all in in New Orleans, and we knew we were going to go there at one point to shoot some of the scenes there. So I remember, like, driving, you know, the hour and a half with each way with Heath Ledger and talking about life and books and whatever. And then you go and you tour this place that former plantation, still a plantation, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, seeing the actual room that they execute people in, and then the drive back home and that conversation. So I spent a lot of time with the the talent, but I also started spending time with the DP, with the accountant, with uh, wardrobe, and understanding, like, what they did and scheduling um, and... 
Lead like gave me that space to go and learn. So I had my little indie knowledge, but I also have arts and crafts knowledge. My mother was really big about making things. I like to make things, whether it's a record or a movie or a documentary. I get a lot of joy with all the people I get to work with and the assembly of it. Mm -hmm. And so that opportunity allowed me to have that access and and you know that was a low budget film you know um howley and it, but it was there's so many funny crazy stories can i ask what was the budget for it it's like around three three point five million. Oh, y'all had to really cut corners and so nothing prestige film and you know it's it's interesting because originally wes bentley was supposed to play the lead and then Wes Bentley kind of went off the rails disappeared and heath ledger was huge mm-hmm. but like um, was we ben, had was to he ki- the one from American American Beauty, Beauty. American yeah. Beauty. Yeah, yeah. He was okay. The, he was so the we had to convince the them yeah. that that Heath Ledger could do this because he didn't have a Southern accent, and we got him this. I did like I had my own little a mixing, a dialogue coach, and then I had to splice. I had to play from cassette to cassette to make something that would sound good. To so it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. Getting to live in New Orleans was fantastic. And How did y'all? keep it light on the set because it was so heavy like you know a lot of love a lot of care a lot of taking care of people you know yeah I was wondering if I had conversations hip hop mama yeah Um, but but also you know Mark Forster it's his second film and he just is a, a brilliant director very loving and caring you know creating that safe space having the right people like you know when you're doing certain scenes you don't have everybody standing around you do you do last looks, and then everybody's out. That was that scene. And you have to give them that privacy to go to some really deep, emotional, vulnerable places. But nobody thought that that film was going to do what it did, that Halle Berry would win the Academy Award, that it would go on to make over $30 million for a $3 million film. But what happened is Lee's like, Lionsgate, they made all the money. I'm not making any money. I'm going to take Lee Daniels Entertainment that had been a management company. Lee had represented Michael Shannon, Marina Baccarin, Wes Bentley. I didn't know that about Lee. He he represented all this great talent. And he said, let's start Lee Daniels Entertainment as a production company. So the first film that we then did on our own, which was very hip-hop, was The Woodsman with Kevin Bacon. Bacon. So that's when I then moved to Philadelphia to then make... Two films there. I oh, I'm a two one five all day girl all day. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that Cuba Gooding Jr. joint that was my woo. Yeah, Shadowboxer. Yeah, Shadowboxer Shadow yeah. was my Shadow joint. Boxer. That's the best I ever yeah. seen. Him. I like the Woodsman too. I re- I really like and both and Mostaf. You know, he's in that also. Macy and David Gray. Allen Greer and Eve. So that was the other thing we always wanted to you mix always up pulled the, the music in. Yeah, the music yeah. and and making it interesting with the casting. And with those films, we found the scripts, we developed them, we found the internet, you know, our our investors, we did our pre-sales, we did the production, all the deals, and then the, you know, post, and then bringing it to a festival and delivery. And in, in the beginning, it was Lee, a guy named Dave Robinson, who did international sales and myself. And, it, you know, we were doing material that other people were not oh, looking yeah. at. Oh, yeah. And after Shadowboxer with Helen Mirren and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Monique, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Macy Gray. That's when Sapphire, who we had been chasing for years, gave us the option to push. What 
took it so long that it was a struggle to nail nail that deal down? She just was protective of who to give her word to. I know she had been chased when the book first came out by Madonna, who had wanted to tell it. Like, she directly called her and was like... I, all I know is that, that she wanted to option the material. Yeah. Damn, and okay. um, we showed her Shadowboxer, and she said, yo, you you guys aren't afraid to go there. Because as you remember in the film, there's Helen Mirren, yes. who's an assassin, and she carries off hits with her stepson, Cuba Gooding Jr., who's also her lover. What the fuck? <laughs> I read the script, mm-hmm. and I was blown away. So when I saw the visual and you got done, I was like, yo, it's really one of my favorite films. I'm sorry I'm so hype about it, but it was just a mind-blower. In doing the Apollo Theater documentary... Where is the Apollo's, their footage of, I would have thought they would have had more footage, at least between their early years in the 40s and up until the mid-70s. They never recorded or documented those shows at all? They, there's very few shows that, that, yeah. were, that were captured. And, I mean, I've become like a, you know, a big archival person. Mm-hmm. And luckily on that show... There was a Jerry, I forgot Jerry's name, who had worked with Percy when Percy took over and did the remodeling. And Jerry lives in uh, Yonkers, and I went to his house, and we crawled through the basement, and he had those beautiful tapes of the renovation and the reveal because Percy tried to have a multimedia center. So he had he started taping, and that's also at the onslaught of, you know, Showtime at the Apollo. Right. But, you know, I mean, I would have loved to have seen when the Motown review was there and so many of those incredible classic moments, but it didn't exist, you know. And, you know, I think the thing about documenting um, black stories is that oftentimes our archival has been lost because we had to leave our homes in the middle of the night and escape or our homes got burnt down or, you know, the flood came (laughs) like, you know. Or we're just not sentimental. Uh, well, maybe that's some, a lot. I get a trauma. lot of that. Like yeah. Don Cornelius what... literally blew up the Soul Train stage and everything, the signs, because he didn't he didn't want to pay for uh, storage. Mm-hmm. So he was like, get rid of it all. So they had to like crush it and, and send it, like literally his entire history. He didn't care. Yeah. And yeah. the value of black cultural product and black cultural archival is is really important to me because as I tell these stories as you tell the stories you're doing. We want to bring people back to that moment. We just don't want a bunch of contemporary people saying it was like this, it was like that. No, we want it to be immersive and we want you to see and feel and get a sense of the journey that we're on. We were talking outside uh, before we started taping. You said this documentary, the Little Richard doc, about two years working on. What was the hardest part? Like what was, I guess, the biggest kind of the bottleneck that uh, took the most time? Well, you know, we have this great partner, CNN Films, and when you do a film from them, it's 98 minutes. <laughs> it ain't 97 and it ain't 101. Really? Because I kind of go like, well, can it be 101? Right. No. So, you know, like when you got to back into that time, there's things that have to fall out. For me, I wanted to talk a little bit more in the film about the shenanigans of the music business, how it is that you can sign someone and take everything and that they don't and it's see. Legal. <laughs> yeah. But it, I, as I like to say, I had to stay on 95 and not get off on exit five, you know, because mm-hmm. that would have taken us too long in our runtime. Is this because they, for broadcast purposes, you had to fit? Yeah, that's their broadcast um, standard. I was under the impression 
uh, and I believe that he said this, that Michael Jackson, ATV, gave him his rights back. So that's why John Brank is in the film. Uh, yeah, that's why right. I interviewed okay. him. Because John Brank, of course, had the relationship with Richard when Richard officiated at his marriage mm-hmm. that Michael Jackson was and Bubbles were best men at for John Branca. Wow. There are pictures. Um, Nigga. <laughs> 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 I just got marinated on that. Bubbles. Google, yeah, Google, yeah. Google. <laughs> yes. It's the craziest picture. Um, <laughs> it Bronca up like, really? <laughs> a chimp you gotta was get your him best too. We got to get him. Yes. And so Bronca, who, you know, was Michael Jackson's attorney and is still involved with the estate, mm-hmm. I interviewed him not only about that moment, but because when Richard protested at ATV Music for his royalties, and then Michael Jackson bought the catalog. So in his book, and in his autobiography, mm-hmm. Richard goes, oh, yeah, Michael gave me money. But I learned very early on making this film that a lot of things that Richard said, you know, were not completely true. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, John Barranca, you were there. You were there all the time. Did Michael Jackson give Little Richard money? And yes, he did. I should have asked him about Sly Stone and Doris Day because maybe he would have known about (laughs) that. But we could confirm um, you know, his, uh, that Michael Jackson felt really bad and he did, he gave him some bucks. In your opinion, like, what was your mission statement in doing Little Richard's story? Because there's so much to uncover mm-hmm. as an artist, as a human being, mm-hmm. as a pop culture figure. Like, what was your mission statement? At, like, at, before day one, I'm going to, when people watch this, they are going to blank. The, the thesis mission was, Little Richard's an icon. Why is he an icon? Why is it that when he passed away, this wide range of people from Bob Dylan to uh, Harry Allen uh, to, uh, you know, Dave Grohl are talking, Bruce Springsteen, talking about how important he is. He's, so why is he an icon? Why does he matter? And... If he is the innovator, the architect, what did it take to get there? Who is his foremother, forefather? And how does blackness and queerness factor into a conversation about rock and roll? Oh, my God. The black queer conversation that you start very early on in the movie that was the initial thing that blew me away. Seeing black queer people, beautiful black queer people of that time. That time, Because yeah. we don't see black and white photos of, like, trans people and what that meant. So after I saw the movie, I had a physical reaction. Like, I had so much of a reaction. I had to, like, yeah. I had to reach out to Lisa. Did you expect for us to not only be, of course, empathetic and sympathetic, but also pissed? I was mad at times. Toward the end, I got mad seeing, like, Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger. and, you know, the Paul McCartney. Of it. I, I don't know. I, I got mad because I was like, I got mad when Little Richard said, you know, Elvis told me that it was, if it wasn't for me, there would be no him, basically. Did, did you know that that was? I knew I wanted it to be immersive, you know, because you can't just do Little Richard as shut up. You know, you, he's, he's more than the one note comedic foil that he had it become on these talk shows. He is so deeply nuanced. And also, he's this connector to the Beatles, to the Rolling Stones, to Jimi Hendrix. James Brown, 
He brings him to Macon, and that's where James cuts his first hit. And when Little Richard blows up at the same time and goes to Hollywood to be on in these you know rock and roll movies, he has James Brown James go out on the him. road as him because right. people didn't know what Little Richard looked like. Right. So he's like, "Oh, you go out as me." You know, he was also he was so giving, and has been. There's been a lot of erasure about his contributions. So yeah, you got to be you, you got to feel moved by it, you got to be mad, and you have to say, "You know what? We need to know our history." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. our and an inclusive history, a history that many people are trying to either negate or criminalize. And you know what? The, sorry people, this is America. There's there's documentation of drag balls in DC in the 1800s. <sighs> So don't come through now and say, like, no, this has been been here. here. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is your hope? Because I think this is probably the most compelling argument that one can have. And again, I know that there's a big sort of uh, divide between, and really, I'm not just saying conservative people. I'm being real, like with conservative blacks, like would turn a blind eye to them or whatever. Like it's very interesting, even in watching like Soul Train, a place where literally like you know that, you know, the LGBTQIA culture is is especially in the mid-70s and the disco period and all that stuff, 
there's an artist from DC, um, a group named the Dynamic Superiors. They give one of the greatest performances I've ever seen on that show. But the lead singer is way beyond what we would call like flamboyant, whatever. Like, and Don's reaction to him is it's it's clearly like, I'm just gonna act like you're not there. Like oh, yeah, he got on an eyeliner, everything. Yeah. It was yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even like hostility. And it wasn't it was You're pat- invisible. Huh? I've never even seen indifference. Like m- most people would just be like ignoring, like, okay, like you're not there, but it it's it's a level of conservatism that I can't even describe that Don does to him. Mm. Whereas like I'm clearly not gonna acknowledge the what I see here is what I feel I don't understand. So let me just act like it's not there. But I feel like this film could actually sort of open that door. Like, is that for you? Like, yeah, I think people learning this history, learning that, you know, the complexities of someone that most people really love, Little Richard. Like, you know, you say Little Richard, like, oh, Tutti Fruity, Long Tall Sally. You know, people start shouting lyrics. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about that. Song I didn't either. know about Tutti Fruity. Yeah, I didn't know Lisa. what Tutti Fruity was about. <laughs> yeah, but you do now. I yeah. do now. Yeah, sure. I have no doubt. And um, I went to Florida to screen it. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to go to Florida. We know what's going on in Florida. <laughs> hey, man, you might as well go to America's <laughs> yeah. anus. It. <laughs> oh, God. It's ground. It's, it was the best thing. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's like all these older people who, you know, they've got this memory of they were teens and they saw him and they love this story and they embrace this story. They didn't go, oh, I like this part, but I don't like the queer part. And then I talked to the young people who were like, yeah, they want to take African-American, you know, AP history out. Mm -hmm. And so what this film does, it's very corrective to to a history that has not included the, the multitudes that someone like a Richard Contained. Do you think that he, ex- I mean, we accepted all of him. Do you think he accepted all of himself? I don't think so. I, don't I mean, I don't he's know. on such a roller coaster. And that part where you really go into the 80s version of him, mm. where he mm-hmm. denied, like, where that made like me inherently preacher. sad. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. nothing sadder than a person that has to suffer as themselves or whatever. Yeah. So, have you screened it for anyone? With the two on the far left digit of their birth year, like a millennials, Gen Z, mm-hmm. what is their reaction to it? They actually are like, "Oh, this isn't some old fogey stuff." Mm-hmm. They're they're all. They're, I think I get a lot of. Where can I get a mirrored suit? We're gonna have that great fashion moment. But I think that you know the they like the music, and they're they're really captivated by how his DNA went forth to artists like and how he paved the way you don't have saucy santana right you don't have little next you don't have right yes little nas x i was like i wanted all of them in it actually at the end toward the end when you start talking about that i was call them and yeah did they not want to i called the people i'd always do charts when i'm directing films of you know who's the family who are the friends who's the artists and in this case, who are the incredible black and queer scholars who are not the usual mm-hmm. history of rock and roll? I was very intentional in the academic voices who are narrating. Yeah, I was really happy to see Zandria in it. Like she, Zandria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, Dope she bodied it. <laughs> I mean, when she says, you know, it's not appropriation, it's obliteration. 
I was like, okay, every, everybody can everybody go. go. You home. go home now. Okay. <laughs> you know what material. this is about? And like, it tore him asunder. And I love that in this film, we have that level of commentary because that's who we are. You know, we can, we can be talk about, we can deconstruct Tutti Frutti and, you know, Richard on the, as Princess Lavone as a drag queen, but we can also talk about a harm to our community. Because those are all apart. You know, if someone said to me, they'll take our, our rhythm, but they won't take, take our, our blues. blues. I got a yeah, t-shirt, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so to know little Richard, you know, you need to know the joy, but you also need yeah. to know the, the intense pain of him feeling invisible, feeling that all of his contributions and all these people he helped out are, are not there. Like when he's at the Otis Redding, he goes... I still sing. You can record with me. You know, call me. And and that is the part of the complexity of his journey that is more than, oh, I'm the bronze Liberace. Yeah. Yeah, no. You made us get to know him a little more. And it actually it also kind of answered the conflict with, I think, all of us because it was like, was he? Wasn't he? Now I understand even his own personal conflict and why I felt that way because he was unsure. Yeah, he was unsure of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish he would have known that. We would have loved him regardless. But thank you, well, Lisa. I definitely feel like it'll help people. Yeah. No, nah, you really, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, like, beautiful. we, nah, we, I super enjoyed it. The it Black Dust, that's what I wanted to ask about. I'm sorry. What was the Black Dust in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the movie, the, it's so beautiful the, Black Dust. So it's energy. Okay. I, I believe he is elemental. He came from another planet. He's a supernova. And he arrived and poof, unleashed this energy that we establish in the beginning of the film and it continues and it grows in specific places of innovation, of expansion, of creation, and how the energy is is him. And that was a great motif, you know, working with the editors. Cause I was like, how do we do it? How do we show all this? You know? <laughs> and um I felt that. I like, I like the like, sequences too, like the musical sequence. Yeah, cool. oh, the, the the John P. Key. Yeah. yeah. How'd you choose them? The, the reinterpreters of the song. So when I pitched this film, I uh, always said I wanted to have dreamscapes. I love magic realism. And I wanted to have contemporary artists who are part of his legacy. You know, when I spoke to Valerie June, who does the Sister Rosetta Tharp uh, scene, I said, Sister? And she said, Rosetta. I mean, she just like completed. <laughs> so good. And oh. she understood why Sister Rosetta is important to this. Corey Henry, I adore. And Corey started in the church. Then he goes and, you know, he does gospel, hip hop, jazz, pop. And I just thought musically he could bring so much. He's such a, he's so fantastic. And Pastor Key, that is not a Little Richard song, but I'm a big fan of John P. Key. And that's one of my favorite songs, Standing in Need of Prayer. And I thought it really spoke to how low. Richard is when he has lost every, every, everything. And like the only thing he has is God. Was there convincing him to do it? No. Oh, really? Okay. We've been talking for years about a project I want to do with him. Okay. And I, when I called and I told him what it was about, he said yes. And he knew Richard. Mm -hmm. And oh, wow. he was really helpful for us, even finding the church, et cetera. So... You know, all of those artists are part of this 
desire to make this immersive and to be also in scenes that are part of portals opening, portals of possibility for Richard, being seen by a Sister Rosetta creating Tutti Frutti, and even the portal of I've lost everything and I'm now going back to the church. They're, they're big emotional shifts for him. I, I hate to admit this, Fonte, but my actual introduction to John P. Key was Versus, Crash Cuts. Oh, Crash Cuts? Oh, wow. <laughs> John P. Key. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you know what, Lise? As, as we wrap up, I'm actually sitting here like in some sort of Paltrow-esque sliding doors. Uh, Did not see that coming. Not not memory. Didn't know. I'm expansive. I, you, you are the expansivist. A 48-hour decision changed the entire course of my life, mm-hmm. of which I am extremely happy of my journey especially in light of okay so y'all wouldn't have got 17 albums on Def Jam though right but even at that I'm like okay this is a tortoise in the hair journey and was it better for me on my second album to sell 17 million copies and now you know 2023 I'm going to jail for espionage right? or to be on this path but now I'm like damn if I just signed a Mercury, I think I would have had an amazing ass relationship with Lisa Cortez. Like it's never too late. I never have regrets, but I'm now trying to figure out what would have happened in my life if we just went through it and we had Lisa at the top of the pyramid. You could have been on Brian McKnight albums. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> you would have met Ralphie S- Raphael Sadiq earlier. Wow. Right. Oh, do you but, have a Latin they, quarter do, story? Do you, do you, oh, okay. yeah. Do you have a Latin quarter story? I survived. <laughs> oh, so you didn't have a story. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. So she, I mean, she had to. She had to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've had many. Hit the get, ground. Hit the ground. Uh, Before we wrap, I just want to say to Lisa, because I said to Lisa after I watched this movie, okay, so Lisa, this was amazing. I don't know what you're going to do next. Can you just tell the folks the two projects that you got cooking that's going to be blowing their minds away too? So premiering at Tribeca, I have something called The Space Race. It is the story of Ed Dwight, who almost became an astronaut, black man, but and it focuses on the shuttlemen, the black astronauts who in 1983, Guy Bluford, Fred Gregory, Ron McNair, oh, Guy Blue. who, yeah, who yeah, go yeah. to space. But it's really about this community because it's also Victor Glover and Leland Melvin. It's about Afrofuturism Woo! and black astronauts and moving things forward. So that's the space You're race. doing this? Yep, it's all done. I'm you got to get Thundercat to do the, the, the score. Ooh. <laughs> I, 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 Yonique Bontemp is, uh, is on it. So we, Never mind. It's a good you're friend, fired, so. Thundercat. <laughs> next one, next and one. And then your other? Is The Empire of Ebony. It's yes. a three-part series on Eunice Johnson, Ebony, oh, Jet, okay. Magazine. Yeah, and yes. I know somebody here has a collection of these magazines. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. You know, at one point, I, I was part of the board. So, you know, the MoMA. So they're doing the food version of the MoMA. And at one point, we owned the Ebony Kitchen. We had to dismantle the board and, you know, raise more money. So we had to sell our Ebony Kitchen. But literally, the... the they moved it, you mean? From the building? Well, when we dismantled it... Uh. And very meticulous, and we moved it to New York and set it up back in its original 70s, 60s, I mean, 2000s, too. Tacky sort of, yeah. that, like, but 
Yeah, yeah man, I was upset so when Ebony, we had to get that up. Yeah, it's, um, you know, how do you build a media empire where in a space that did not exist? And how can you be a race man and a capitalist List. while doing this? And then finally, I'm EPing a great film coming out, The uh, the Milk Goes On Forever, The the Art of David Hammonds. Oh, <laughs> and I produced uh, Invisible Beauty, uh, which is the story of Beth Ann Hardison, yes. the incredible nice. model muse activist. All right, so in closing. Hey, you found it! <laughs> With the echo on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so racist. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. That was right. so that good. Was nice. <laughs> Oh, Wait, time out. Yeah, we've been, so know. can you give us a tell from the Latin Quarter? The, the fucking timbales shit is so good every time. Well, it's like Mexican, <laughs> Colombian, like yeah, every. There's some cumbia in it. I'm just saying. Yeah, anyway, moving Speedy on. Speedy Gonzalez <laughs> <theme laughs> <and lead> vocals. <laughs> Go I, I just remember going and having to hide in the bathroom, and, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> Well, I, t- I take high. the fifth. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Tales from oh, Latin Quarter. Right. <laughs> Lisa Cortez. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I can't stop doing it. That's Fonte, Lisa. Thank you very much, Lisa. I appreciate it. I apologize that it took three decades for our BFF courtship to start, but no time like the president. Well, and congratulations to you. Thank you. I, I feel that. at every Academy Awards, we need to go back and give you guys your award again yeah. properly. Ooh. But Thank you. It, the art, the work is there. So many people talk about the glorious summer soul, but thank you. And, you know, like, and all the projects you, I want to come and interview and so to hear you talk about all your films that you're doing, like you're doing the Aristocrats, right? I talk about myself all the time. Yes. Mm, oh no my you God. Don't. Oh my God. No, we don't. Yeah, no. On the next Quest Love Supreme. Yes. Quest Love. Quest Love. We want to do that. We are going to do that. Oh no. Thank all you, right, everybody. On behalf of Fontigolo <laughs> and Laia and Sugar Steve and I'm Faith Bill Woo. and the great Lisa Cortez. Yeah. Quest Love. Shout out to uh, cousin Jake and Brittany and also uh, thank you. Uh, we're Again, live live at uh, CDM Studios Thanks, in Manhattan. Thank you very much for yeah. hosting us. Count that money. <laughs> Count that money. Count that Goodbye. money. Studio. That's what it stands for. That's fucking Next awesome. Next go around. Peace. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip hop with the Gangster Chronicles. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.